Good evening to you. Daniel chapter 10, Sunday nights through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, come to Daniel chapter 10 tonight. If you're with us this evening and you're without a Bible, you will be lost. And so uh, just flag one of these guys coming up the aisles right now with Bibles and uh, they'll get one into your hand. We want you to hear the word, but we want you to see it as well. And it'll have uh, a greater impact that way. And if you don't own a Bible, please make that Bible a gift uh, from the Lord to you um, this evening. I'm uh, fiddling with a stopwatch. It is defeating me. Electronics, we'll let it go. I do have another clock up here for those of you who are alarmed. Uh, <laughs> don't let that man be without a clock. When we come to Daniel chapter 9, uh, it is a good time to remember that the book of Daniel does divide evenly into two great sections of six chapters each. And the first six chapters of the book of Daniel are uh, mainly historical. The final six chapters of the book of Daniel are prophetic and uh, characterized by a, uh, a long series of visions that the Lord gave to Daniel having to do with man's history from the time uh, of Daniel being alive all the way to the end of the age in terms of human history, all the way through until uh, the governments of man uh, give way to a new heaven and a new earth and the will and the purposes of God uninterrupted for eternity. Uh, that felt good to even say, uh, let alone to know in our hearts that that is what God said is the end of, of all of this. Written about uh, 2,500 years ago, and uh, so we get this, this book of Daniel gives us man's history all the way down to its very end. And all of that continues here in uh, chapter 10. It is important to uh, understand that chapters 10, 11, and 12 constitute a single prophecy and, uh, uh, and communication from the Lord, final vision that was given to Daniel. Chapter 10 gives us the events preceding the vision. Uh, then chapter 11 is the vision itself, and then uh, a postscript of chapter 12, a recap of and kind of conclusion to that vision and to the book. The key to understanding uh, chapter 10, and uh, not only chapter 10, but all three chapters in terms of this final vision, is found in verse 14 of chapter 10, if you would just turn to it if it's not right in front of you, where uh, it declares, now I have this angelic being that has come to Daniel, I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people, so this is referring to the Jewish people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. And so this vision is for the Jews, it's not for the New Testament church. If you get this all confused, then you will put uh, the church in the middle of the tribulation period uh, where it, it isn't shown to be in, in the scripture and, uh, and into the, that great tribulation where it doesn't belong. Also notice that the angelic being said that it's a vision for many days. In other words, a long period of time uh, is involved. There's a great deal of the vision that uh, would be fulfilled uh, very soon after Daniel's uh, life. 
and then uh, a large portion of the vision that's yet to be fulfilled uh, even to this day. Verse 1, we get the date of the prophecy in the year, third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. And uh, so in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, uh, 536 B.C. We're not going to test you on that, but what it does tell us significantly and following the David's, uh, Daniel's life here is that it's about 75 years after Daniel had been taken captive from Jerusalem and he is well into his 80s and into his uh, late 80s now by the time he experiences uh, this vision from uh, the Lord. It is also important to understand that at this point in history, as he gives us that date in, in verse 1, uh, King Cyrus had already given the decree allowing the Jewish exiles to return uh, to Jerusalem and to the land of Israel following their Babylonian uh, captivity. All of that had happened two years earlier. He had released them to return to Jerusalem in order to uh, rebuild uh, the temple, which they were presently endeavoring to do at the time that Daniel receives this prophecy from the Lord. Clearly, uh, Daniel, as he describes himself being in the area of uh, the Tigris River when he receives this uh, a little bit later into the, to the prophecy here, clearly Daniel did not go uh, with the caravan of Jews that made their way from Babylon then back to Jerusalem for the purpose of uh, rebuilding uh, the temple. There's no reason given for us in Scripture related to that. Uh, it isn't at all unlikely that his age didn't allow for that. Uh, Jerusalem was a rubble in large part still from the destruction of it 70 years earlier by Babylon. It was a very, very hard circumstance uh, for uh, young men and women in their prime, let alone for someone uh, in their late 80s. But it's even more likely that as God uh, was uh, in his plan and his purposes for Daniel, is that God simply didn't have that as a part of his plan. That somehow uh, having Daniel remain under Cyrus, under that reign in Babylon, continue to be an influence for the things of God and for the Jewish people, that he was of uh, far uh, greater importance in, in impact by virtue of staying uh, there. And so uh, he certainly knew how to hear God's voice, uh, and so it was God's will for him to finish out his ministry in the world without ever uh, returning. Uh, to his beloved uh, Jerusalem and beloved uh, uh, Israel. The land of Israel was uh, peaceful at the time of this prophecy, and, uh, but as the vision, especially as we get into it next week, uh, informs Daniel uh, that the Jewish people uh, at that time, and, and then informs us even today, that difficult times were coming. And uh, in, in the more immediate uh, future of the Jewish people in terms of proximity time-wise to Daniel, but then also coming in the future 
as well. He declared concerning this prophecy that a message was revealed to Daniel whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had uh, understanding of the vision. So concerning uh, the vision, the declaration is that it was absolutely true, and Daniel understood the substance of the message and, and the vision. In, uh, in verse 2, and in those days, uh, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came to my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all until three whole weeks were fulfilled. And so uh, the receiving, uh, before the receipt of this vision came to Daniel, he had, uh, was preceded by uh, three weeks of mourning, uh, a partial fast, and then uh, limited kind of giving limited attention to his uh, his grooming and, and uh, attention to himself uh, in, in preparation for uh, this vision to potentially come to him. We're told in verse uh, 2 that he had been in mourning for three uh, full weeks. Um, it, again, it isn't unlikely that the cause of, of his mourning, the cause of this uh, deprivation that he voluntarily brought upon himself was his concern for uh, the news that he had perhaps received concerning certainly two years he would have received reports in that time of the condition of the Jewish exiles who had made their way back to Jerusalem and were trying to rebuild uh, the temple. As the book of Ezra records of this period, the children of Israel encountered a tremendous opposition against them in their attempt to rebuild uh, the temple and uh, tremendous opposition to uh, becoming resettled back into uh, the land. In terms of the building of the the temple, the altar had been set up, Uh, the foundation you might remember had been laid, but the work was brought to a halt as the peoples of the land that had come in in their absence now kind of forced it to, uh, uh, to a halt. And so his mourning might very well have been uh, over, the, uh, over that condition of the people there in, in Jerusalem. Uh, but his mourning also might be attributed to how very, very few Jews left Babylon from that captivity to return to the land of Israel when Cyrus gave them the opportunity to do so. Uh, We are told in the scriptures that only about 50,000 people, when the doors were open for the Jews to leave the land of their captivity, return to the land of uh, of Jerusalem, as many of them as wanted to, only about 50,000 under Zerubbabel, uh, as as is recorded in the book of Ezra, uh, left. The overwhelming majority of Jews stayed in Babylon. And uh, in the relative comfort of it, the prosperity of it, the familiarity of it, and uh, they didn't want to leave that. And so uh, this might have been weighing upon him, and he might have just been simply seeking greater, and, and no doubt this was happening, just seeking a greater understanding of the future of the Jewish people um, in, in general. When we're told that he ate no pleasant food, uh, it, it, he, he cut out kind of the luxuries, no wine, 
no meat, and uh, it isn't a, technically a, a fast, as a fast is described in the Bible, which is uh, no eating at all, but it is what some people would refer to as a, a partial fast. So he eliminates the luxuries out of his life, probably not only eliminated those uh, luxuries that were available to him in light of his position, uh, but probably also ate a fairly uh, strict and a meager diet uh, as well. He is seeking God for revelation, and, uh, and so he engages in this, this particular uh, diet. Fasting is when you stop and think about, think about your day, day in and day out, and how much of your day is given to thinking about food, uh, preparing food, buying food, eating food. It's a significant block out of uh, everyone's day. And in those days, they didn't have drive through places or instant this or that or go by the market and the meal's all made up in there. Everything is done, you know, kind of from, from scratch. And so uh, to fast was to take a considerable amount of what was a, a daily focus and instead of taking, and taking all the time that would normally be focused and concentrated on that, and then using it instead now to seek God in some extraordinary way for uh, something from his throne, and it could be any number of things, uh, again with Daniel, apparently seeking to know more about the future of, of the Jewish people. And uh, so Jesus, of course, he spoke to us, as his disciples about fasting, and he said, when you fast. And so he uh, it didn't, it certainly doesn't want us as Christians to think of fasting as a part of our uh, Christian life to be something that is extraordinary or something that only fanatical Christians engage in, but uh, that it is something that is there in the table and in play in our spiritual disciplines and seeking, uh, seeking the Lord. And so uh, this, this was the fasting that was, uh, was uh, going on, a partial fast. There are a lot of people who, because of a physical condition or maybe the job that they hold and how extraordinarily physical um, it might be uh, that a full fast is not uh, in, in play necessarily for them. But uh, lots of people fast in different ways. Some people will fast for a period of time and eliminate one meal in the day. Others will eliminate uh, solid food and it will just be a liquid fast. And, and just the heart of God, a heart toward God and seeking Him. And, uh, and so we see this kind of a partial fast with Him. He didn't anoint Himself at all and so He abstained from whatever was like the normal uh, uh, kind of extras in terms of grooming in those days. You know, we think we're the only people in history. Uh, I'm not sure that they had deodorant in those days and hairspray and all of that. I don't think they had aerosol cans in those days. I'm very confident of that. But it isn't like they were cave people. Um, so they would uh, wake up, they would bathe, they would put an oil in their hair uh, in order to uh, add a nice fragrance to it. They would put oil on their body also for the purpose of, 
of fragrance. They would put oil on their skin, this anointing that's talked about here, because of the heat and the dryness of the air there to keep it uh, uh, smooth and to keep it from cracking. And so he takes and he abstains from that and kind of kept everything uh, to a bare uh, minimum. And we're told that he did this for three weeks and, uh, and, and the fact that he does this for three weeks gives us an indication about how serious he is about wanting to hear from God about whatever it is that he is seeking God about. And uh, as we'll see as it unfolds, it clearly he is seeking uh, the Lord about the future of, of the Jewish people, his desire to receive this revelation from God. And then it, 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 we're told that in verse 4, now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris. So he gives us his location, the Tigris River, the Euphrates Rivers, the two great um, rivers associated with the Babylonian Empire and uh, the, the Tigris River in terms of the city of Babylon in those days proper was some distance, several miles away or more from the city. So he was at least maybe 20 miles removed from the city at the site of the Tigris when he receives this vision, or he may have been uh, way up the river and been hundreds of miles away, uh, perhaps on business, or perhaps he was just wanting to get alone and uh, seek the Lord in this way. And then as he's there, uh, the vision takes place. Verse 5, And I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with uh, gold of Uphaz. His body was like beryl, his face like uh, the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze and colored, and the sound of his uh, words were like the voice of uh, a multitude. And so here he sees this vision of this heavenly being, and uh, there are some who believe that what Daniel was seeing here in all of this was the vision of an angel sent by God now to uh, communicate the prophecy uh, to Daniel and, uh, and uh, an angel who then, as you will see down in verse 10, who then placed his hands on Daniel and then began to speak to him there in verse 10. So that's one way of looking at the passage. It's not, not the way that, that I view it, and, and for a couple of reasons. I think it's far better to understand that this vision that's described in verses 5 and 6 is uh, nothing less than a Christophany or a theophany, that is an Old Testament uh, appearance, uh, uh, pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus in, uh, in human history. And that this angel uh, who is spoken of in verse 10, uh, he comes on the scene and there is at verse 10 a change of personages that, uh, that occurs at verse 10 and onward. And the reason that that view is, is the majority view related to the passage is that this description uh, of this uh, heavenly being in verses 5 and 6, it so closely resembles the description of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, verses 13 uh, through 16, that it hardly uh, seems possible that it would be a description of uh, anyone else. In other words, that John then in the book of Revelation sees and describes with much of the same language uh, Daniel's experience 
with the same personage, and that personage is, is Jesus. In Revelation 1, let me read a couple of verses to you as John describes his experience. And then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of God, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. And his head and his hair were like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And so, a very similar uh, description. The reaction uh, of the men that were uh, with Daniel at this time is given to us in verse 7. Um, I wouldn't call them fair-weather friends, but, uh, you know, when, the, uh, when it got hot in the kitchen, uh, they weren't quite up to what was, uh, what was going on. And uh, probably not everybody is meant to receive a vision of this kind um, in, in, in their lives. And therefore, I was left alone when I saw this great vision uh, of the Lord, and no strength remained uh, in me, for my vigor was, uh, uh, well, no, I'm sorry, in seven, and I, the Lord, uh, Daniel, uh, 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 and I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them, so they uh, fled to hide themselves. So they didn't see anything, but uh, it only talks about them not seeing the vision. Uh, perhaps they heard uh, something related to the vision, or maybe just the intensity of the spiritual atmosphere that was produced here in the spiritual realm made them realize uh, this was something a little more dynamic than they were interested in, and uh, they scrammed. Uh, and when, when we read here in just a moment and then through the chapter, and you see the physical toll that interacting with God in this way and in that spiritual realm, the physical toll, the emotional, mental toll that it took upon Daniel, uh, it, it is, uh, it's a real deal, and, uh, and uh, they weren't up to it, and, and Daniel was. And so, uh, now here formally to verse 8, Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision. No strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned uh, to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. And so, all of his strength departed. Now, I mean, we have to kind of put ourselves, we have to put ourselves in a place of just uh, feeling that. I don't know that um, probably most of us have felt that kind of thing to have the strength just immediately uh, go out of you in that, that way uh, until there was no strength. And Daniel then continues, and he said, yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face uh, to uh, the ground. So all of his strength not only departs from him, but then the result was that uh, he ended up laying in a deep sleep face down on the ground, but he was still able to hear the words that uh, the man's words that were being uh, spoken of uh, in terms of the Lord uh, speaking. So he's rendered completely immobile by his lack of strength, and uh, even so, he continues to hear uh, these words. This uh, certainly speaks to the fact, I think, that one day you and I are going to need a new body uh, before we're going to be fit 
uh, for the glory of heaven and uh, the presence of the Lord in, in all of His uh, glory, no matter how consecrated we might be in this life. And Daniel was a very, very holy man uh, uh, to see the Lord in, in His uh, eternal glory had this kind of an impact upon him. Every once in a while I'll run into people who will talk about one day getting into heaven and telling uh, God a thing or two. Uh, I don't think so. I think you're going to be a little Muppet without a hand and uh, in a heap uh, if you, in that scene if, if you were allowed in with that kind of, uh, of carnality. I always, when I see these kind of scenes in the Bible, it always makes me thankful that I'm saved. It doesn't take much to make me thankful for the fact that I'm saved, but the fact that I will not face Him as judge, but I will face Him uh, as my Savior. And everyone will face the Lord Jesus one day uh, and, and he, in, in the context of either being Him being my judge or being my Savior. And uh, as the writer of the book of Hebrews uh, puts it, uh, for if we sin willfully after we've received this knowledge of the truth, uh, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy uh, who has trampled the Son of God underfoot and counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted of the Spirit of grace. Um, how uh, our fellow man views a person's rejection of God and rejection of Jesus Christ and how it is viewed in heaven are two entirely uh, different things. It will be an awesome thing to stand before Him if He is our judge and not our Savior. No need for that to happen. Just put our faith in Christ and, and uh, get moving forward in His plan and purposes for our lives. And so we look here at the effect that a genuine encounter uh, by Daniel, someone as holy as Daniel, the effect that a genuine encounter with Jesus uh, in all of his heavenly glory that it produced upon him. The interesting thing about this is he just kind of collapses in, 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 the, in his current body and current situation in, uh, before that glory. And the interesting thing is we see it continually throughout uh, the entire Bible. And uh, Isaiah the prophet, you remember in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, And the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried uh, to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And... Uh, and Isaiah said, wow, this is cool. No, that's not what happened. He said, woe is me, 
for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Again, when John, uh, the Apostle John, sees Jesus in his eternal glory in Revelation chapter 1, remember he... He's the one that when they ate, uh, he's the one that leaned on Jesus' breast. In other words, as they laid around that triclinium, that low table to eat on one elbow and eating with the other hand, he was the one that was directly and immediately in front of Jesus and in posing his questions and speaking to Jesus, it required him turning back and leaning upon Jesus' breast. This is the kind of of intimacy. This is the uh, intimacy of relationship and knowledge of Jesus that uh, the Apostle John uh, possessed. And uh, despite all of experiencing all of that for three and a half years, uh, when he uh, and, and witnessing the glory of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, but when he sees Jesus and the fullness of his glory in heaven, the reaction is entirely different. You might remember the Apostle Paul in this regard, his conversion. He's breathing there in Acts chapter 9, uh, murders and threats against the disciples of the Lord. And he goes to the high priest. He asks for letters uh, from him to go to the synagogue of Damascus so uh, that if any Christians were found there who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed and he came near to Damascus, suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And so he, here's Mr. Uh, Big Shot, Saul of Tarsus, uh, big persecutor of the church, big terrorist. And uh, he comes face to face with Jesus on that road to Damascus. And so we're told he, trembling and astonished, uh, he loses control of his body. And he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. When anybody in the Scriptures has a vision of God in the Scriptures, there is one thing that... Uh, it, 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 it evaporates instantly, and that is any sense of pride uh, at all. It is completely gone, completely burned up in, in the presence uh, of the Lord. It cannot survive His presence. And I think that's behind the old observation uh, that everyone ought to hear at least once in their Christian life that uh, uh, certainly concerning anyone in service to the Lord, uh, that anyone that... Uh, that no proud person has ever had a, a true encounter with the Lord, and, or at least has not met with Him in any meaningful way. Because the first thing that goes is, is pride in, in the, the face uh, of the Lord. And so those who know the Lord deeply, they know Him personally in this way, they're always marked uh, by humility. Uh, in His presence and concerning Him. And of course, we all continue to grow in all of that uh, as, as we uh, make our, our journey toward heaven. And so, Jesus, of course, He's our Lord. He's our Savior. The Bible declares Him to be our friend because He's the one that told us that we uh, are, are His friends. But the idea that 
Sometimes I will hear is almost the, is he's portrayed in a relationship with him. Well, let's put it this way. When, when you read the scriptures, you don't see anybody standing in heaven, seeing Jesus in his glory and going, uh, yo, bro, there's none of that going on. So um, he is our friend, uh, but we shouldn't culturally define that. Uh, there's a, there is a substance to and a sobriety uh, about that term friend when it's used concerning, uh, concerning the Lord. I always get a little antsy when I'm in a congregation or someplace and uh, people start to uh, portray Jesus in this kind of a, of a, a casual uh, a way. I, d- I just don't see it in the Scriptures. And then in, in verse 10, the prophecy is given, and here is the introduction I would contend to uh, an angel, and we'll certainly see, I think, uh, why we would interpret it that way as we follow through, because this angel is going to be hindered by a demonic spirit. That would never happen with Jesus and, and other aspects of the vision. So, uh, an angelic being is introduced uh, newly on the scene in verse 10, suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees, and on the palms of my hands. And so uh, he's down and this guy now, this angelic being touches him. He begins to tremble now in that, that condition. And the angel said to me, oh Daniel, uh, man greatly beloved. And uh, that couldn't have come at a better moment, could it for Daniel? Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for I have now been sent to you. And while he was speaking this word to me, I stood uh, trembling. And so he's essentially telling Daniel, I haven't come here to kill you. Uh, You are greatly beloved. There's nothing here to fear. And so Daniel stands. And then uh, he said to me, verse 12, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God. There's that humility again. And all of this denial of self was a a mark of of humility. And and humble yourself before God. Your words were heard. Uh, Three weeks ago when you prayed that prayer, that was heard instantaneously. And I have come now uh, because of your words in answer to, uh, to, to the prayer. In other words, everything that's going to follow now in chapter 10, 11, and 12, all of it is uh, apparently in answer to whatever it is that Daniel is, uh, was uh, seeking the Lord concerning in terms of, of revelation. And he said, listen, your prayer was heard immediately in three weeks ago. But in terms of me getting the message to you, uh, the reason it's taken me three weeks to get to you with an answer is that the prince of the kingdom of Persia uh, withstood me uh, for 21 days. And uh, behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, uh, angels, came then to help me and apparently took on the, the, the prince, uh, 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 the demon of Persia, and, and then released this angel to continue then uh, uh, to deliver the message to Daniel. He came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. And now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days uh, yet to come. 
And the prince of the kingdom of Persia uh, withstood this angel uh, in attempting to get this answer to prayer uh, to Daniel for that period of 21 years. And this, Daniel chapter 10 gives us one of the, the most valuable insights into the spiritual realm uh, in the Old Testament and maybe in the whole Bible in, in some regards. A spiritual realm that operates around us uh, all day, every day, as fully and as actively as the physical realm is uh, going on uh, around us, but we're less aware uh, of it. And uh, because of his uh, 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 warring, his resistance to uh, the angel who had come to Daniel, uh, this prince of the kingdom of Persia doesn't actually refer to the king of, of Persia, but clearly it speaks of a fallen angel a, a demonic being that was operating under the direction of Satan and uh, maybe even the devil himself by virtue of the fact that it took an archangel by the name of Gabriel to release this other, uh, uh, other angel. And, uh, and so here is this prince, this, this angel that is uh, dominating uh, Persia uh, at, at that time. And it gives us this picture, the realization that behind the earthly thrones of this world there can be uh, demonic spirits. And the demonic uh, realm, as we see it practiced here, Paul would give us great clarity of it in, in the New Testament. The demonic realm has a hierarchy uh, of authority and, uh, and uh, that is very much like a military force. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. Uh, Paul uh, told us that you may be able to stand against the wildness of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, the realm that is immediately before us, and we see with our, uh, our senses. Um, but, uh, the, uh, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Paul speaks uh, again of this, this whole uh, hierarchy of the, that is within the angelic realm, kind of like uh, generals and then colonels and lieutenants and sergeants and corporals and the whole uh, rankings. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul wrote, which he, speaking of God, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, uh, his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Jesus being greater than anything that exists within uh, the demonic realm. So this uh, demonic spirit behind the kingdom of Persia must have been very, very strong. Uh, it was, again, of sufficiently high rank that this angelic messenger uh, could only be released uh, in combat against it uh, by the coming of Michael the archangel. And uh, clearly, uh, the, whatever is happening here, the demonic realm in the form of this demon is uh, very much resisting uh, this vision. 
that is being delivered to uh, Daniel, wanting it to be delayed or to stop it from getting to Daniel uh, altogether. And so there's something here in chapters uh, nine, uh, uh, 10, 11, and 12 uh, that Satan didn't want Daniel to know. There's something in these chapters that Satan doesn't want uh, us to know. And the devil always works very, very hard to keep us uh, from the Word of God. Uh, he does not like to see us in the Word of God, and, and he doesn't like God's people to know prophecy. Uh, because uh, the, uh, the, the single great message of prophecy is that God wins and the devil loses. And that brings a lot of perspective into our life, and the devil doesn't want us to... Uh, that's bad news. That's a bad ha- it's a bad headline for him. And, uh, and so he, he tries to uh, resist that. It's also important to realize that there can be so many things involved in prayer and God's answers to our prayers that we're not uh, aware of. And so uh, when you or I, we start praying and, uh, and we start uh, the, uh, uh, praying something related to God's truth or His Word or praying related to some, uh, some work of God uh, in the world, here we see the immediate battle that can, uh, can break out in the spiritual realm associated with that prayer. And so often we're not uh, aware of it. We just kind of think when we lose track of a, a, a consciousness of the spiritual realm, we just think that, um, uh, you know, it's kind of like the internet, only faster. So we lift up our prayer to God, it gets to Him, boom, and a zap, and then, uh, and then it should just come right back to us as if there's nothing that, that is happening in the spiritual realm uh, related to it. And, and yet there can be demonic resistance uh, to, uh, uh, to all of this that we're not... Uh, aware of, and that's important to know, and uh, that uh, there are these other dynamics involved. And when you pray for revelation from God, uh, for God's work, for your own life, or or seeking God on the kind of level that Daniel is seeking God here, uh, you're entering into a warfare uh, that is very intense indeed, and, uh, and no wonder the Apostle Paul uses military imagery to try and give us a, a sense of it. And that's why uh, faith is important in, in prayer and in the spiritual warfare. The armor is very, very important in all of that. And uh, to never assume that because God doesn't answer our prayer instantaneously for revelation, for direction, for wisdom, that it means, oh, God isn't going to bring that uh, to me. Uh, he's going to keep me silent there. Uh, sometimes it can simply be that the answer has been uh, delayed. And that's one of the reasons that Jesus constantly encouraged us toward perseverance uh, in, in prayer uh, being important. We do learn a few important things about angels here. And first of all, that there are angels. And uh, that there are good angels, and then there are bad angels. There are fallen angels, which are, uh, are demons. And uh, we also learn that God uses angels for good in human history, and uh, Satan uses demons uh, for, uh, to impact the world negatively and, and in an anti-God kind of way to try and negatively influence individuals and, and even in entire nations. And here you have uh, a demon who was endeavoring to have a very, very strong uh, demonic influence upon the kingdom of Persia, 
in its decision making and uh, and and, and at, at that time in in human history and uh, it is no stretch of the imagination at all to realize that satan attempts to influence the decision making and the policies of uh, the nations of the world today and the more powerful that nation then uh, the the greater uh, his focus in in that way and i think who can doubt uh, the devil's influence upon uh, our culture in the light of of the abandonment uh, within one generation virtually the complete abandonment of the godly heritage of the united states uh, of of america and uh, and and then moving it not only abandoning these things but then moving uh, our nation and the people of this nation so strongly uh, towards sin uh, towards uh, absolute licentiousness related to sin a rebellion against god blasphemy uh, against god and when you look at it it's so irrational that it has to have uh, a, a spiritual dimension you look at it and you say you are you are destroying the foundation uh, the foundation uh, that is the greatness of the country it's its spiritual foundation uh, uh, that produced the nation that you so love the prosperity uh, of it the freedoms of it and somehow you think that you can destroy that foundation and then uh, what is built upon it is going to survive for any length of time and it can drive you crazy watching the news and watching the absolute blindness with which people are making uh, decisions uh, as as uh, senators as leaders of of the nation and then individuals uh, uh, as well and you look at it and and if you you look if you ever watch the news and you go this is blowing my mind how can anybody not see this it is so clear and then uh, to realize that no this is all going on uh, because there's a spiritual blindness related to this and uh, there's a spiritual dimension to the deception uh, that is going on one day the antichrist in the final world ruling empire he's going to be possessed by the devil himself satan himself and uh, but uh, we would uh, uh, never conclude at all and want to from this revelation of the battle that occurs between this angel and uh, of Syria and then this angel coming to bring the message to Daniel and then uh, Michael the angel that the demonic realm is any match at all for God or for uh, the angelic realm. God could have wiped that demon out with uh, just a word. But he didn't because somehow it served his purposes. Maybe it was important for Daniel to wait, to build the anticipation for it. And, uh, and when God answers our prayers, there's not only the, the dynamic of the answer to prayer, but the timing is so often important. Remember when uh, the devil wanted to uh, take out Job, and God set very strict perimeters on the devil in his attack upon Job. And there were lines that the devil simply could not uh, go over. So the devil is forced to stay within uh, certain uh, perimeters that serve God's purposes uh, in an in individual's life or in, 
in the human history moving toward it, his, his God-appointed uh, uh, end. And so uh, we're to be serious about uh, spiritual warfare as we see it here, but we're never to be uh, afraid of it. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. First John 4, 4. Uh, that's the four by four. You've got to hit the devil with once in a while. So we want to be conscious of it. We want to be aware of it. But we never as a Christian are afraid uh, in the midst of that battle. And so we read that uh, Michael, one of the chief princes, came uh, to help uh, this angel for he'd been uh, left alone there with the, the uh, uh, kings of, of Persia. And Michael is referred to in the Scriptures as an archangel and uh, the highest rank of angel, Jude chapter 1, verse 9. Yet Michael, the archangel in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found in heaven uh, for them in heaven any longer. And so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called uh, the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. And he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out uh, with him. It is interesting to realize that the uh, archangel Gabriel seems to have a very special relationship in the Bible uh, to uh, the Jewish people and God's dealings uh, with them. He's kind of uh, their archangel. Uh, we'll see in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, at that time Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, as declared to Daniel, speaking of, of the Jewish people. And so uh, Daniel's arrival allowed that man to continue with, with the message. In terms of applying this to nations, there you have it, and then uh, applying it to our own personal uh, lives, to understand that spiritual warfare is something that goes on not only on a national level or an international level, uh, but it is also directed against us individually and personally as Christians. And Peter spoke to this, First Peter chapter 5, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Res resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Uh, James uh, declared in uh, James chapter 4, verse 7, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And that passage in James chapter 4, verse 7 is the foundation for the three-point uh, sermon related to spiritual warfare and uh, and uh, uh, the made up of three words, recognize, resist, and uh, rejoice. Recognize the devil in, in, the, in his devices, resist him, and then rejoice in the authority of God uh, over him and all that he attempts to do. It, I, I do think that in general, it seems like half of the battle is over for us in in terms of spiritual warfare, as soon as the light goes on for us, that the situation that we're dealing with is not purely a physical one. 
but that there is a spiritual dynamic uh, to this, a spiritual uh, uh, warfare dynamic uh, that, that is, 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 is happening, and a spiritual opposition that's happening in this situation and in, in this uh, circumstance. And once we understand that, and it can take me a while to figure that out, and, but once we understand that, now, okay, now what I'm dealing with, but I can uh, go along as Mr. Magoo for quite a time uh, before I come to, to realize it. I remember when I was a brand new Christian and everything was brand new to me and in, in, in all of this, and I was completely ignorant of spiritual warfare. You don't become a Christian and know everything about everything in the Christian life. So being saved, worshiping God, reading the Bible, devotional to all these things are, are coming, but spiritual warfare, that, uh, I hadn't heard anything about that yet. And I would come home from work, and, uh, and, and on the evenings that we were uh, supposed to go to church or go to a home Bible study, I'd come home from work and I would just be hit with this, uh, this sense of melancholy would just fall on me like a wet uh, blanket. And all I'd want to do is just uh, go I- into my room and, and uh, stay home and go to bed. And of course, that was nothing at all like me. At that time, I had, my mother was uh, dealt with depression, among other things, and, and the home was that kind of a home, and, and in the immaturity of my understanding, uh, all of it at that time, I determined I was never going to be in that environment at all if I, if I uh, could do that. And then here, not only was I in that environment, I was that environment. And... and uh, and so I would think to myself, what in the world is going on here? Here I become a Christian, and, uh, and, and, and sure, before becoming a Christian, my life was absolutely empty, had no meaning in terms of my life at all, but at least I wasn't melancholy. I was mildly depressed on, on things. Now I become a Christian, and, and this comes into my life, and it took me a while to learn that this was a, a method of the devil related to me in terms of spiritual warfare. And, uh, and certainly he was working very hard to keep me away from church in those early days and, uh, because he knew that once I would get there, I would be blessed and then continue to, to grow. I, 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 later on, I remember in terms of Christian service and all of this, I was heading home uh, from work and... Uh, I was leading a home fellowship in the church at that time, and I was going to come home from work and then get ready and and head to the home fellowship. It was in another town that was about uh, 30, 40 minutes uh, away. And as I'm driving down uh, the highway, it's two lanes, I'm in the slow lane. I was driving a Chevy Love truck at that time, and you just didn't take a Chevy Love truck into the fast lane. Uh, it had carburetor problems and a lot of problems. And so, so I'm going along and I've got Jesus stickers all over my truck and everything. And this guy comes along up on uh, uh, the side of me and he flips me off. And, uh, uh, don't do that to me, uh, especially where I was then. I was so infuriated. Uh, I followed him, I chased him down the highway, I took every exit that he was, and I was going to duke it out with him. Find out, who, well, who do you think you are? What are you doing here? And all. And it took the longest time for the Lord to break through to me and say, Damien, it's the devil. You're teaching a home Bible study tonight. You can't be a sucker for this kind of 
stuff. The devil can use anybody, and he's got billions of people to flip you off. What you, you can't be uh, falling for this kind of thing. But it was another thing in learning that if I'm, you're going to take a step of faith, you're going to engage in Christian service and, and all, and, and then to look very carefully at the events that happen around you uh, related to, uh, uh, to all of that. And of course, there's always uh, tremendous uh, spiritual warfare that comes against us in, in, uh, in terms of, of Christian service for all of us. Uh, even this morning, I mean, we, uh, I don't know how many of you were at first service and second service, we come out for first service, and here we are, we're rolling, and it's like, man, what in the world's going on here? It was like a, a big wet blanket had been just put over the entire sanctuary. I mean, there's just this oppression in terms of what, what was going on. And, uh, and the, the, the resistance related to whatever was happening. I don't understand all of this stuff any more than anybody uh, else does. And, uh, and so after the first service, the, as we prayed to come out with the worship team and, and Pastor Ken, as he was going to open the service just to talk about the fact, uh, did you sense that dynamic that we hit out there in first service and how uh, sometimes it just works that way? And you pray the same amount, you prepare the same amount, you go through the same routine, everything is there, everything is right, and you come out and you begin to try to serve the Lord and there is a resistance that is mad. And it's like running uh, through mud. And so we hit that kind of thing and just, and always what you do is to say, uh, in a sanctified sense, let's make them pay for it. And uh, come out the second service and then just boldly come out with what we're called to do against that realm. It's not, and so here you are, we, we kind of get in a, a, a motion and a rhythm on things. We're used to hitting a certain amount of spiritual warfare and a spiritual dynamic on the Sunday morning. And then one day you walk in again, nothing else has changed. And you, we run into something that is extraordinary. And it just happens. It's just the way that, that Christian service and the Christian life is so often. It can happen, this kind of warfare in a marriage or any other relationship in life where you become impatient with your spouse and all of a sudden they can't do anything wrong and all you can see is their, their, their faults and yet they're the same person they were yesterday and the day before, uh, the same impossible human being, uh, but nothing extraordinary has, has changed in, uh, in, in, any, in any way. And in, 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 in what they were yesterday didn't trouble you at all, but now it's, it's driving uh, you, you crazy. And, then, and if what I'm feeling uh, and experiencing in that relationship, a marriage relationship, if what I'm experiencing uh, doesn't appear to have a foundation in the physical realm, nothing's changed there, then very often this is an indication of something happening in the spiritual realm in terms of the devil trying to attack a marriage. And uh, as we walk with the Lord for a while, we begin to recognize that as a device that he uses to make us impatient with one another and, 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 and how he uh, tries to ruin things. I know for Karen and I, 
uh, every time we're about to go do something special. Maybe get away, go out to dinner, uh, go on vacation, something that we've been planning for, uh, and, uh, and maybe something with a family. You can always count on the devil coming in and trying to create some kind of conflict or agitation. In, in, in some way to try and ruin uh, the event that God intends it to be uh, in our, uh, our lives. And then over time what happens is we begin to recognize, or at least I do, and she's way ahead of me on all of this stuff, but I begin to recognize, all right, anytime we're going to do something special, there's going to be some kind of a disturbance in the force. Uh, related to this, and it's, and it's how we learn. And I say this for, for some of you, this is a, a new uh, kind of, of thing. And so you, uh, you have uh, some people never lose sight of the devil. I mean, they see the devil in every single thing, even when it's just uh, the world and the flesh. And, uh, but then, uh, and, uh, and, but that's an extreme we want to avoid, but we don't want to settle into a place in our Christian life where we cease to think about it all together. In, in fact, that we cease to think about it uh, at all, uh, staying aware always of that, that, that spiritual realm. And uh, if we lose sight of the spiritual warfare that's going on around in our life, we will view it as solely a physical kind of thing that is happening, and then we will try to deal with it on the physical level, and all we'll do is create frustration and anger and make a mess of the situation. And so, uh, the importance of understanding uh, spiritual warfare. And, uh, and, and so, it is in our personal life, so it is in the world all around us, this activity that is going on. The devil is uh, called a murderer. He is uh, referred to as Jesus said, there's no truth in him. He's a liar and he's the father of lies. Jesus said, uh, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy, and I have come that they may have life and may have it more abundantly. And there is so much that has happened in human history that cannot be explained uh, apart from the existence of the demonic realm. Uh, evils that go beyond what can be explained by our fallenness uh, as human beings. You have satanic worship itself. How about the attempt by the Nazis to destroy the Jews in World War II? How about what Mao did in China? How about what Stalin did in Russia? Tens, 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 tens multiply tens of millions of people dead under three leaders of the last uh, uh, century. Think, what about abortion? And uh, the lies that we're willing to believe about abortion since abortion uh, was it, it, it been practiced in the 1980s worldwide, not just in the United States, worldwide, over 1.5 billion abortions. And, and here, this Holocaust continues on, and you stop and think about it, uh, uh, to kill a baby in the womb at, at its most vulnerable, and for this right to be championed not by dull, brutish men, but to be championed uh, by women. And there's a demonic realm behind all of it. And then uh, when uh, trying to stay alert to the activity of the demonic realm, uh, always keep an eye on any and all attacks upon the institutions of God within a culture. Uh, attacks upon the sanctity of life. 
as we've seen, that man is created in the image of God. Uh, the in, uh, attack against marriage, and look at the collapse of marriage in one generation in the United States uh, of, of America, and a strong demonic deception. It's not like biblical marriage was, uh, was uh, uh, let go for something superior. Uh, it was let go for something that is destructive in every uh, way. You see, the attack upon a family as it's defined uh, by God with these new definitions until families on life support, uh, government, the, dis- the disrespect for authority that keeps a world safe, and the institution of government, uh, God's institution. You look at how completely in our culture good is now called evil and evil is now called good. Uh, Look at the legalization of mind-altering drugs. Why would you legalize marijuana when you don't even have a means to yet to determine whether someone is driving under the influence of it? Wouldn't you want to get that uh, cleared up? And uh, and every scientist in the world uh, that that isn't on marijuana will tell you uh, how destructive it is for the brain. You, you, you get a, you, you, all you, you can get a picture of, of a, a, a brain on, on marijuana and then a, a brain related to heroin or something like that after X number of years, and you look at them and they're both destroyed. And, and yet, here is the legalization of all of it. You can lose your job today on, and be destroyed on social media for even uh, holding uh, the conviction that there are only two genders uh, in the world has happened to a libertarian, not a Christian, a libertarian editorialist for a Colorado newspaper, let go, for simply holding that conviction. And, uh, and of course, uh, for declaring the obvious concerning homosexuality, that it's unnatural. And, and all of it can be so frustrating. It's so irrational and self-destructive that you just can't believe that it's happening. And if you think the ultimate solution is going to be found in government, then you're not paying attention. Because this is, these are spiritual issues, and they can only be dealt with in using uh, spiritual weapons. And then what about a religion in the world that's the source of the overwhelming amount of terrorism and uh, bloodshed and unrest in the world? There must be a demonic influence between uh, any religion that calls for the death of Jews and the death of Christians, the death of the people uh, of uh, the book, the Bible. And it isn't just that religion. It's true of every religion that draws people away from a salvation to be found in, in Christ alone and, and brought into spiritual and darkness. And then all of the drug cartels that are going on. It isn't just normal fallenness that allows you to cut the heads off of a hundred people and then pile them up in a heap in front of City Hall in some city in Mexico. You're talking about the devil now behind this, this kind of a, uh, of a thing. There's a spirit at work in all of that and the shooting up of, of malls and schools and churches and synagogues and movie theaters and behind the willingness of so many to refuse to give any consideration at all to Jesus Christ. Their life is in flames. They've destroyed their life every which way that you can destroy, but won't give the slightest thought to Christ. 
in terms of salvation or in terms of being forgiven of sins and God coming in and, and making a change. And all of it's because the gospel is veiled to them and veiled uh, by the devil. And this same kind of thing is true uh, of entire uh, nations. It's true of individuals. It's all around us in, in, in the world. It's not merely a physical thing that is happening. And then you notice in verse 15, and we'll close very quickly now. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips, and uh, then I opened my mouth and spoke. So other angelic beings present as well, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. For how can I see, how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord, as for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. And then again, the one having the likeness of the man touched me, and he strengthened me. And he said to me, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. And so when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for I, you have strengthened me. And then he said, do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, and when I have gone forth, indeed the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. So he says, I'm going to deliver this message to you, this revelation. I will return to the battle with the prince of Persia and then ultimately the prince of Greece. Talking about Persian Empire, Grecian Empire that followed that, that, that the, the, the Persian Empire, giving us an idea of here you have an angel in that angelic realm that is engaged in this fight just concerning the Persian Empire and the Grecian Empire for hundreds of years. And, and what goes on uh, in, in that uh, entire realm. And so he says all of this uh, is, is the truth. And uh, here then in chapter 10 is the preparation for uh, the vision. What in the world is the vision going to be like? And we'll look at that next week. I do know I'm holding you long here. And uh, we'll order in pizzas. Well, we really won't. <laughs> Um, but I do want to close by turning to a scripture and reading it, and then we will close in prayer and a song. If you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verse 10, I do want to read that chapter in the light of this realm that we've been looking at here tonight in Daniel chapter 10. Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong, verse 10 in the Lord and in the power of His might and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. 
Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer, and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the marvel of your word and how you bring this subject up in your word every so often because of our tendency to lose sight not only of the spiritual warfare around us but also concerning the only things that are effective in terms of engaging that realm. And we thank you for the time that we've been able to spend and examine these things in uh, this study of Daniel chapter 10. And we pray that to any degree that we have fallen asleep related to any of this, where we are being suckered by the devil uh, day in and day out because we have grown uh, dull to his devices and his methods against us, that you would use this time to make us freshly aware of how he tries to work to distract and to uh, oppose us in your work in us. And we pray for those that are here that for whom all of this is brand new to them. And we pray for them as a body and ask that these things would be planted in their heart in order that they would not be blind and completely vulnerable in the midst of all of this that goes on around them. Protect them in that warfare, Lord, and continue to grow them into their awareness of it and into the armor that you have provided to them. And we ask for this work of your Holy Spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.